Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. I don't know where to begin. Where does one begin? At the beginning, I suppose. Hmm. Is that from a book? Should be. Sounds like that we one day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely from this podcast. Kind of sounds like a Dickens novel, but yeah, it could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Do you remember in The Simpsons when uh, Mr. Burns is one of his like shows of outrageous wealth? He actually has a hundred monkeys writing on a hundred typewriters. Which is an old like cliche of like if you had a monk, you know, all these monkeys writing on all these typewriters, eventually they'd write the works of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and he just goes up to one of the monkey typewriters and pulls it out and he goes, it was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I never watched The Simpsons. I never yeah. did. You should have. I know, man. I feel like I missed it because I can't go It was back. a golden era too. the late 90s. That's when we... I was really watching it. Someone somewhere should do a Simpsons, like an a, all one YouTube video that has compiled the 30 best Simpson lines or like jokes, jokes mm-hmm. just in, in order that you could watch them. That would be epic. Mm-hmm. I would watch it's it. It's so subjective, though. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, I, Rob, I thought it was a good idea, so don't Thank you. worry. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a good idea still, too. I think it's a good idea, and I stand by it. Um, <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you if you Google that people have done that, though. People do that for, like, Always Sunny and Nervous yeah, Development. Yeah, yeah. And that is true. Yeah. And things. Yeah, I bet they have. Well, but it's such an epically massive TV series, isn't it? Right, so long. It's banned for, what, like 20 years? Or still going? I don't know. It's just because it's my cohort of people my age, but it seems like the consensus is that it's not the best it was ever was like the late 90s, early 2000s when, mm. when we were watching it. And then it just kind of got lame. I like Brimmer. The Go ahead. Go ahead. I said Brimmer's also a huge Simpsons fan, and he quotes it about as much as you and Baron do. Man. Mike Warden is also a big quoter of it. <laughs> it's nice when you get around people who are also Simpsons fans because they remember things you don't and you mm. remember things they don't and mm-hmm. you start to riff. It's it's a whole yep. thing. <laughs> My many of the Simpson quotes I know and enjoy are just from you over the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the all-time favorite, which I first heard on the cast, was the the Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a good man. He, I respect him as a fighter, but I'm definitely going to make orphans of his children. <laughs> Dude, that thing ripped me. Um, what does he say? That it doesn't go on to like, talk about his wife? Yeah, well. the, the press guy goes, uh, you're aware the children have a mother. And he goes, yes, but I imagine she would die from grief. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. That one's good. I like the one of, uh, is it Chief Wiggum, the cop? And there's an elephant attacking Springfield. And he's trying to describe, he's like, yeah, it's a long hose thing sticking out of its face. <laughs> and the guy goes, you mean a trunk, Chief? <laughs> easy, easy, college, college boy. boy. <laughs> nice, dude. 
Yeah, that's yeah, just good. It's um, good fun. So Anybody today, reading anything good? Oh, go ahead. Today I was kind of pumped just all day because it was uh, Edith Stein's feast day. Same man. Preach it just got me. It got me yeah. totally amped up. Yeah. yeah, I was also pretty upset that the breviary has like no special love for Teresa Benedict of the Cross. None. No well, office. The breviary was written before she was a saint. Get with the times, though, right? Yeah. Well, but even like the off the iBreviary app, they had no additional readings. Ooh. Ooh. There's there was nothing. Nope. She's great, though. I talked about and I was like laughing at myself because I wanted to do it. But in the daily mass homily today, I talked about Hegel, Heidegger, Vatiwa, Stein. And I was like, I don't even I'm not sure that I have all of those people straight anymore. Like who's who? But I love that stuff because wow. of how cool Stein is and her influence. Yeah, totally. Husserl. Yep. Yep. I talked to my religious affairs specialist today, the the soldier that works in the same office as me and both myself and her make up the unit ministry team. And she's like a Christian and she'll put up these little things on our on our door that's different religious feasts. And she said, um, Connor got to meet her. She's just awesome. And, uh, she, you know, it's just so like young and just kind of excited for the world. And I think loves, she would like the cast. I think she would, honestly. I, she listens. She listens. Oh, really? And her mom listens, I think. So oh, shout sweet. out, Bleezy, if you're yeah. listening. Holla. Rocking. Um. She said, you know, if I can't find a feast, I usually just go on these Catholic websites and y'all have feasts like every day. Y'all always have something to celebrate. <laughs> so cool. she had Teresa Benedicta up on the whiteboard and tomorrow's St. Lawrence. So mm-hmm. I got to tell her the story of St. Lawrence and I'm like, please, you got to look up Edith Stein, Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And I kind of told her story and um, it just got me pumped up, man. She's a super saint with a huge brain. Hmm. Yeah. To be honest, I don't know much about her. I've never read. Bros. Give the synopsis of her story, Mets. Well, I... Great cast to extend to the world. Yeah. Well, so she was born Jewish and then became an atheist. And then... Because she um, was in like philosophy and stuff? Yeah, I think it was just in the world of academia. Mm -hmm. But she was already a philosopher when she was an atheist. That's my understanding. Is that right, Mm -hmm. Rob? I think yeah. so. Yeah. I, I yeah. I don't know that like yeah, how, how she was always a brain to each other. Yeah. Super exactly. brain. Super brain. So then she went um to university and she was born in Poland and then went to university in Germany. Um and ended up obviously just crushing it, but then she got her doctorate and then became a professor. Um I can't remember exactly what, what university in Germany, but she, well, she studied. Was that when did she study under, and then she did? Did she go work work, work for Husserl? Yeah, she she studied under him and then worked for him. Okay, and compiled. So that's when Husserl was creating phenomenology, which is a, I would say, one of the most influential philosophies from the 21st century, and certainly impacted yes. JP two and the creation of theology of the body and a deepening of of theology in, in the modern era. Like Edith Stein's right at the heart of all that. And they say that um, she, as she served for Husserl, who was the kind of the popular creator of this philosophy phenomenology, that 
he would come up with, he would have all these ideas, but he, the ideas would kind of just be scattered and would be kind of placed around the office as like a, a type of an image for the way that he would articulate phenomenology. But she was the one that actually took all these different ideas and synth- synthesized them in a way that was actually communicable and intelligible. And so in a lot of ways, like there's potential that she, that phenomenology wouldn't exist if Edith Stein hadn't have been the one that compiled all of these different ideas from Husserl and actually communicated it in a way that people could understand it. Okay. So who's who's got the bigger brain? The guy who's coming up with the ideas or the gal who follows the ideas but also has the linkage between all of them and then can actually share that with the world. And I would say that's Edith Stein right there. And then Definitely she went on to translate out about it. She, she translated Aquinas um, and then she went back for a second doctorate while she was teaching as a professor in university. And I think they wouldn't accredit the second doctorate. And I can't remember exactly why, but she like, yeah. And she, I don't think when she went to defend it, they didn't, they didn't accredit it. So she only has one doctorate, but bear in mind, she's also a professor who's a Jew and a female in basically right around the time of Nazi Germany in Germany. Hmm. And she still was like an intellectual boss that was basically so smart. They were like, we can't not have this lady teach hmm. in, in Nazi Germany, a Jewish female did all of that and then read her way into Christianity. She kind of has that famous moment where she reads Teresa of Avila's um, the way of perfection. And the story is she read it one night and she closes the book and she says, this is true and then converts to Catholicism, joins the monastery, becomes a nun. Carmelite? And then, mm-hmm. Carmelite, yep. And then... She died the, at Birkenau. She died at Birkenau. So her order was like, you and I think her sister Rose, you have to flee the country or else the Nazis are going to come and find you and they're going to kill you. And she said, no, I'm going to die with my people. And so she stayed. The Nazis and did the Jews? come. Yeah, with the Jews and, and with her sisters. Mm. With, with her sisters. Um but the, the Nazis just came and took the Jewish nuns? I think that's right. Is that right? Yeah. I think so. I don't know that for sure, but that's how I remember it, is that they they found out like what monastery they were hiding them in, and yeah. they just took yeah. I think it was like Jewish in sisters. Switzerland or yep. somewhere around there. So she stayed. She had the opportunity to flee the United States and yep. uh, didn't want to leave her people. Yeah. So she ended up getting shipped to Birkenau and, and died there. Yep. Um, but kind of a her, unique martyr... Kind of like uh, Maximilian Colby, different they, kind they of died, martyrdom. Yeah. Same. I mean, they died within like a mile of each other, probably, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. There's a lot of cool stories about her conversion as well. Like there's the one, I've always loved it, where she was kind of on the cusp of her conversion and she was in some European cathedral and a lady on a shopping mm-hmm. trip came in with shopping bags and prayed. And it like just blew her away that <laughs> Catholics could come and like talk to a personal God when they were out shopping and then mm-hmm. just stay for a few minutes and, and leave. And yeah, like that's I a cool one. Talk to God like a friend. Yeah. And they, I think, I think this was Stein as well. Like early in her conversion, she was staying when she was working on a doctorate or something, she was staying with a couple that she really respected and the guy died. And it was like this tragedy because they would have been like a young couple. And the the wife of the guy who she was friends with 
like bore it with bore the tragedy and the loss with like an immense amount of grace. And so she was sad, all like grieving and all of that, but she like understood it through this lens of faith. And it just like Stein had never really comprehended anything like it. And so it's, it kind of spurred on an interest in Christianity. Yeah. Is a true Christian witness that I think got her. Um, this might be an odd question, but was there just like, even before her conversion, a natural moral goodness to her? She sounds just like a person who had great virtue, maybe her family. I, I yeah. Mean, all I mean, these courageous choices, obviously God's grace is involved, but <laughs> what was she when like she also served, Well, she served as a nurse as well during World War One, So mm-hmm. that would have been like in her late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. which would have been, yeah, I mean, an unbelievably like scarring, but also worldview shaping experience for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely already had this natural desire to care and, and take care of people. And um, yeah, and my understanding is that they had a pretty close family. And I think she loved her parents. She loved her mom very, very much. I don't, I can't remember what her relationship with her dad was like, but I either. Um, a lot of her great photos and, and stories is like her sitting around kind of she, she's she's a sister to Therese in a lot of ways, but so different that she's kind of almost more like a lot of her photos are almost more melancholy. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like smoking a cigarette and like drinking a coffee and like thinking about the deeper things of life. And um, Do you imagine Therese smoking a cigarette? <laughs> Dude. I can actually. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like watching a three-year-old smoke a cigarette or something. Yeah. It's like what? that doesn't go together. Like she's like <laughs> Therese is way more, you know, obviously the childlike and mm-hmm. um, this kind of like bubbly. Um, but they they share the same yeah. heart, and they're both doctors of the church, and they're both Carmelites, and within um, yeah a short amount of time to each yeah, other as well. Forty, fifty. Edith years Stein is a doctor of the church. She's a doctor. Is she really? Isn't she? I don't think so. I think it's the female ones are <laughs> Teresa of Avila, yeah, Teresa of Lisieux. Um, what'd you say, I, Catherine of Siena? Yeah, yeah, I think that's And Hildegard three. of Bingen. Of Bingen. Oh. Wait, can we look this up? I feel like this sure. is a Joe Rogan thing. Jamie, right. look this up. Megan? Great. Megan on here? <laughs> I, guys, I think she is. Are if we not, just looking up female doctors of the church? I. Or is it just the question, is Edith did, Stein? Did I no. wish this into existence? There's only four. Did I get them? I got them all. Yeah, Hildegard, Catherine, Teresa, and Therese. That's garbage, dude. She, might, she time, might be, man. dude. It's just not that she died in the 20th century. Once we throw it out there, who knows how quick that goes That's up the ranks, though. It's a wildfire at this point. <laughs> it's Well, I don't know enough about her to say what? so, but two, two out of three of the three dogs north... <laughs> giving you their partially unanimous yeah. <laughs> endorsement yeah yeah that's got to be worth something can you at least abstain so we would have like at least no naysayers. sorry no i have to say no <laughs> what you, well, no that is it is absolutely a moment to abstain oh my god you yeah, no, are abstain, abstain, abstain. tarnishing okay, okay. your voting record right now like, <laughs> i question everything about your character i wasn't even I, at, I wasn't even on this cast as far as you guys are concerned yeah silent guest mm-hmm. where where did you see it online i don't i, believe I put it in the google, google. thing and it was one of google just put it it could be you're right i did not i did not cross check that with when was she canonized whatever what and like 
in the 90s? Um, people people also ask, can a woman be a doctor of the church? <laughs> that's, that's an unfortunate question. Dude, Teresa Benedict of the Cross has got to be a doctor of the church, dude. I agree. I'm, I agree. I'm saying it right now. It's got to be. She died Her- in 42. Mm-hmm. Um, when was she canonized? I feel like the canonization was in recent memory. In the JP2 uh, canonizer, right? Right. They, and as a matter of fact, look, I got it right here. The science of the cross. Insane. This book right here. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. Is ridiculous. So we took a whole semester and just did a class with Father Mark Duran on Edith Stein who he like crushes on pretty hard and <laughs> knows her thought very well. And so it was a, a very cool, and he's Polish. Mm-hmm. So it was a very cool perspective to get, um, to study Edith Stein. Yeah. That was one of the coolest things that like looking back on that independent study with him, it's one of the cooler things I've ever had the chance to, to do because of his legit, expert level knowledge of her and his just like genuine love for, for yeah. her. It was very cool. Hmm. It was we we left that class and I, I think we both agreed that this was the case and and declared it to be so mm-hmm. that she has the most um the the most precise and correct anthropology of anybody who's ever existed. To this point. You heard it here. Point. You heard it here first. Her her understanding of the human person and the way that she articulates it is unrivaled by anybody who's ever talked about that ever mm-hmm. in human history. That's to what me I it's think. just funny to to, to speak <laughs> to say I've read I've read enough about all of the thinkers to say this is the <laughs> one. It's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite when he goes. This is pretty much the worst video ever made. <laughs> and Kip goes, Napoleon, like anyone could ever know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's... But I, I appreciate the, the superlative. I'm, now I want to read that book, Science of the Cross. You would, I think you would like the book a lot. And I will also be honest, I probably wouldn't have understood more than like three sentences of it without mark walking us through it but mm-hmm. yeah that's true it was really good really it's pretty really dense mm-hmm. unbelievably dense yeah. yeah i can send some sections to you that i think really drills into like specifically the anthro- anthropology of it mm-hmm. is how would you in, in yeah, your words on that as well, well. Yeah, flip, flip me on that okay oh is how would you thing? describe her yeah, means her anthropology um it is it's what complete. does she say the human person is well so it's complete in the way that she unifies the, the church talks about the body soul composite mm-hmm. her anthropology unpacks that phrase in a way that i think is unrivaled so that you can see the harmony that exists between the physic the physical body and the actual eternal soul and the way that she u- unites the two together i think is just true <laughs> Like, this is what God was thinking when he made people. She says it. And so, yeah, the like one of the big ideas that, that we talked a lot about in that independent study was that the human person and 
the I, the ego of the person, not in like a bad way, but who the person truly is. It's like a mind shaft that deepens and narrows to the specific point that that is the soul, which is relationship with Jesus Christ. She calls mm-hmm. it the kern, I think. The kern. Yeah. And so then it, like from top to bottom, it goes like you have the, the physical, like the material, and then you have the psychological, emotional, and then you have the spiritual, and then you have this like unarticulatable kern, which it is relationship with God. So mm-hmm. she says, what is the human person is loved by God. That would be her definition of the human person. And at the heart of that, that's why it's the science of the cross is what sits at the, in the center of the love is, is the cross. And so to understand the experience of the physical, the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual, it all has to be understood through this hermeneutic of the cross, which is the revelation of God's love. And it's that's deeply sacramental. So you can drink a cup of coffee and experience relationship with God because the material and the emotional and the psychological and the spiritual and the current, they're all connected and they're all united. Hmm. And so the way that the human person is, it's not body, soul, like two different things, but it's more like the body is an extension, is a physical manifestation of the soul. Yeah. Which is a really, I never heard that before. Mm-hmm. The body is the physical extension of the eternal invisible soul. Extension or, or manifestation, expression? Expression, expression. Yeah. Because we wouldn't like want to, we wouldn't want to say it in like the Cartesian dualism. Yeah, that's kind of There's like the soul in there, but it's more like, which is cool because that's also biologically true. Yeah, true. So, we use gene expression. Yeah. And when, yeah, when a new human being is created, you have everything that you need for the physical growth of the person, but they also already have a soul. Mm-hmm. And then the body like literally grows from that little place outwards. The soul is not kept in like that little compartment that as the body expands, the soul encapsulates and, and extends with the body. Yeah. And the soul is already all, already always there in its completeness because who the soul is, is loved by God. child, loved by God. Yeah. That's, yep. that's who you always are. I was reading something recently that kind of blew me away about the psychological dimension um, and some of the attacks on our true self and the ways that we kind of act on our false self because of that insecurity of not living in that place of of the reality of who we are is loved by God. And he, the psychologist Whitfield, who's saying that fear is almost always a, a useless emotion. Like it's like almost, you know, except that when a tiger is attacking or something, you know, it's almost always useless. It just kind of clouds our judgment and makes things more complicated or difficult. Um, that the truth is like, we don't, we are always safe period, because we are always a beloved child of God, that that's who we are, no matter what. And so any fear of abandonment, rejection, condemnation, destruction is just not true and not helpful. Um, and I think that that's when you were talking about the current, um, 
that's what struck me is like, can I be the current I want to be? Um, and yes, I can be. And really, I, I, I can't not be actually. It's who I am. Mm-hmm. But I can, like Augustine, live outside of myself rather than within myself yeah. looking outward. And that's where it's like, even the devices of like spiritualizing things or moralizing things like, oh, I should be less selfish. I don't, I shouldn't be so inward focused, you know, certain activism in the spiritual things. Um, uh, it's not inward. It's not selfish or self-absorbed to be aware of my heart's reactions to things. So just to pay attention to my own inner life more authentically, because that's the only way that I can actually share it with, with God is to, um, say, look at the stars, look at the, this, or that person is annoying me or like anything that's going on in your heart to just be aware of it. So then you can live out in reality, um, or, or perceive it for what it is rather than constantly being afraid or concerned or obsessed with getting reality to validate what's empty inside because I'm not living in the current or I'm not being, I'm not, I'm not acting as if I am who I truly am. Um, and it's also interesting with the body expressing your current because that's a place where we tend to really compare ourselves a lot. Like how attractive am I or how, yeah. you know, um, and people hate their bodies. People hate who they think they are because they've got, we have fallen for some, some false definition of what it means to be okay or good or acceptable yeah. or lovable. Um, Yeah. And, and that's something that, um, I found so valuable. Yeah. It's one of those great theologians that it immediately makes you look that it it immediately impacts your real spiritual life. So Mm -hmm. it's like super tough to study Edith Stein without also growing in holiness, which is also an indicator of why she is slash should be a doctor of the church. But when she talks about that anthropological stacking of the human person, like what that what we're made of, um, the mind shaft that it, as it deepens, that the I, the ego, can bob up and down, and oftentimes um, it, it's asking the question like, in what part of yourself, in what part of reality, are you living? And oftentimes we do get stuck at the physical instead of actually living through the down to the kern. But the way to work down to the kern, you can't jump from I'm afraid now my palms are sweating and I'm feeling nervous and I can feel my diaphragm tremble. I need to jump down to the kern. But she she understands how the person, which is complicated and multi-layered, that you have to say, man, look at this physical reaction that I'm having. Now I've worked mm-hmm. through the physical. Man, I'm really afraid because I think X, Y, and Z. So there's this I'm going to screw this up. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm like emotionally terrified because I'm afraid that nobody's going to love me. So now we're in real time, not, oh, I just want to be a beloved child of God. And now we just jump from point A to, of fear to at the center of the current, you have to actually work through that. Which is a way of condemning yourself. I shouldn't feel this way. This is a bad feeling. I'm not right. being a good child of God. It's like you have to like, work through that and accept yourself. Has, in, yeah. In the, in the science of the cross too, she has the, um, I think it's in there, 
that this again because she's a spiritual master as as well and so it's like and debatably a doctor of the church apparently. she should be a doctor of the church i'm convinced <laughs> um but in that like in that descent to the kern hmm. like i remember it's just a couple pages but she she points out I can't remember how she words it, but in a sense, there's going to be times that you you can't even, even if you have that process, if you know the reality, you can't do it by yourself. Because she points out there's there's going to be experiences where you have to have uh, like someone that has also been there direct you through it. And so you experience it not as a wall, but as a threshold then, like yeah. even if it's darkness to to stay in and go towards the current. Yeah, which is so cool. Well, I was raising my hand just to <clears throat> alert you of the time. I yeah. I saw the hand raise. It kind of makes mm-hmm. me want to do it. Yeah, but isn't that the too. exact, that's like the theological articulation or the anthropological articulation of the R, of the the acknowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what that looks like, man. Yeah. Or at least that's the theological explanation of of what we practice. R as an A-R-R-R, acknowledge, receive, respond. Yeah, like R, the pirate That's for Megan. Yeah. I love her, man. Well, your love's been contagious. Now I want to read that book. Read it, dude. Read it. Have Mark Duran, Father Mark Duran, read you Science of the Cross and his beautiful Polish accent. That should be in the Hallow app. Mark Duran reading Science of the Cross. Gosh, it should be. Let's boycott the Hollow app until it is. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! I just brought up a bunch of memories of impersonations and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Cotto was excellent at at Mark Duran and Dennis Kasule. He was excellent mm-hmm. at yeah impersonations. So was Jacob. In <laughs> yeah, my gosh. All right, all right, guys. Uh, let's get another one on the calendar soon. This is good. Yeah, I'm going to hit stop. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.